millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. Hello. Oh, that was good. Look at what time it is. It's the time of the month in which we sit down many miles apart and talk about women in history. I look forward to it every month. Miss it when it's gone, and look at that, it's back. It's back, and uh, I'm real pumped for this month's lady. She's not a forgotten lady, thankfully, but she's one hell of a badass broad. So, you know, it made sense, uh, especially considering it's National Hispanic Heritage Month. We're going to talk about the one, uh, the only, Frida Kahlo. Woo! That's exciting. I know. I know. I do know who that is. Just to clarify for the audience, I do know who that is. I'm going to do a little bit of a social experiment. Um, What are your impressions of her? What do you know of her? This is not a test. I'm curious because I bet... We had the same perspective until I did a bunch of research. But I'm, I'm curious what, what you kind of know of her or think of. When you hear Frida Kahlo, what do you think? Painter, mm-hmm. woman of color, mm-hmm. feminist icon, mm. unibrow. Yeah, that sounds about what I thought too. I mm. had no idea what her actual life was like. I had, you know, a vague idea of when she was alive. I didn't know that she died when she was, I believe, only 47. I have no idea. Mm. Um, I knew her. I had a great art history teacher in high school. Shout out Mr. Micah. And um, he loves Diego Rivera. And Diego Rivera was one of, was uh, Frida's uh, husband and main lover in her life. We'll get into that. But uh So I always knew that they were this like power married artistic couple. And other than that, and like you said, the unibrow and (laughs) the fact that she's a painter and a feminist icon, I didn't know much about her life. And Mm -hmm. I knew her in her relationship to Diego Rivera, which I thought was really interesting. Um, And we'll see uh, as things kind of progress in her story where that comes from. So I'm going to take you guys not that long ago. She's a, she's a modern lady. Um, by all accounts, she was born in Coyoacan, Mexico city, Mexico on the 6th of July, 1907. She was born to a really interesting family. Her dad's actually German. I didn't know this about her either. So her mom is Mexican and her dad is German and he emigrated to Mexico because he has epilepsy and was unable to continue with his studies. And I don't really know what brought him to Mexico, but he ended up there. I know. And her mother is what they call a 
mixed woman. She has Spanish um, parents and also an indigenous father. So she's um, indigenous and also Spanish. Mm -hmm. And she has, her father had a marriage before her. So she has two older half sisters who were, who lived in a convent, interestingly enough. Okay. And I know. And um, she has two older sisters, Matilda, um, Adriana, and then one younger sister, Christina. And it wasn't a very happy life growing up. Her parents were often sick. They didn't really love each other. Her mom was very religious and her dad was a photographer and he was doing very well. And then the Mexican revolution started, um, around 1910 and he ends up losing a ton of money because he had a lot of government, um, commissions. And there was a very, very long civil war that happened after the Mexican revolution. Interestingly enough, Frida, often claimed the year of her birth as 1910, um, not as 1907. And her relationship with Mexico and being Mexican is something very intrinsic to her identity. And I often wonder, most people say, oh, she was just trying to appear younger. But I wonder if it was not a metaphorical sense that she was saying the year of my birth was during the revolution, you know? Um, Hmm. I don't know. I'm, it, that seems like something an artist would do. Right? Right? Doesn't it? And yes, she did claim to be three years younger for a lot of her life. But I'm I'm very curious about the fact that that's the year she chose. It wasn't three years is kind of an odd number. And 1910 as being her year of birth and also, quote unquote, Mexico's year of birth, I think is very poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that if I was going to lie about my age... I'd probably choose a larger span of time to lie about. Yeah. You know? I do. Like I say, oh, I'm I'm 15 years younger. I I wouldn't necessarily say I was like two or three years younger. Yeah. If you're going to lie about your age, three years is an odd, literally an odd amount of time. But like, I do more than that. And again, I feel like knowing kind of where she goes and how she thinks of herself and her identity and her kind of creation of it to me that is very poetic and it it makes sense um so she gets polio when she's six which i didn't Mm. know and so her right leg is shorter and thinner and she of course with that illness becomes very isolated has to be isolated and she was very bullied and before she was very gregarious and you know kind of being around people and having all the friends and then after that they developed Mm -hmm. cruel nicknames and you know she had a terrible time and um, kids are the worst. Yeah, kids are the worst. Oh my god, kids are the worst. And she worked very hard to regain her physical strength, and so she was encouraged to play sports, which is not something women were really taught to do. But she also, um, her dad taught her some photography, and she was encouraged to start painting a little bit because she could do it from her bed. Um, And so she starts school later than other people because, of course, she had polio. And so um, her sister, Christina, follows her in the same year, and then they were homeschooled, which is very interesting. So she was then sent to a vocational teacher school, and then, unfortunately, she was sexually abused by a female teacher there and left. And so Mm. it's it's one thing after another with this woman. Um, 
So she starts attending this very elite school called the National Preparatory School, and she wanted to become a physician. And they only started allowing women like very recently. And she got in and she was one of 35 girls and there were 2000 students. So that's pretty cool. Completely. And again, I think her, it seems like from some of her writings, her interest in medicine, of course, is, uh, was encouraged a bit by her own disability and illness. And yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Which I, I was assuming, I was assuming that quietly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting about this school is I think it's kind of where her sense of identity comes from. So the school really promoted this idea of being proud of the country's indigenous heritage and wanted to get rid of the colonial um, influences. And that's, that became very um, important to her. That became pretty much like essential to her life and her ethos. And she declares herself a daughter of the revolution. And um, she falls in love with this leader, uh, Alejandro Gomez Arias, who's the leader of this, um, the Mexican revolutionary group. And mm-hmm. um, they, she exchanges some of the most interesting love letters I've ever read. And she is a self-proclaimed communist, communist throughout the rest of her life. What makes the letters interesting? They're just, she's very... They're just very interesting letters. They're, she's the way that she writes, and you know, so she's describing how much she loves him and wants to be with him. Her parents don't love the relationship, but they exchange a lot of letters. And um, due to some of her disability, she's able unable to be with him. They're having some, um, you know, she's having some accidents or like things like I'm going to get into it. She's in a very serious bus accident, which pretty much determines the rest of her life. Um, But in these letters, she's often talking about her illness and the toll it's taking on her emotionally. And she's bedridden a lot of the time and um, Mm. how difficult it is. And yet she loves him so much and loves the cause. Um, And he's writing back and you can tell it becomes this, like they're both so there's, it's not a very healthy emotional relationship. Like they're, and I'm judging this as an outside perspective, I get it. But, you know, it, it seems unhealthy to me. They're very codependent emotionally. And eventually, we'll get into it, they end up breaking up. And it was a huge blow to her, but she writes, I understand why it happened. You know, it's it's just interesting. Um, I think artists have such a fascinating way of writing. They're very self-absorbed, and um, but also very curious about themselves. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Um So I'm going to talk a little. So in 1925, she meet, she and her and Arias, they're, they're on their way home from the school. Um, They board a bus and then they get off of the bus because uh, Frida had left behind an umbrella and then they get back on another bus, which was really crowded. They sit in the back and the driver of the bus tries to pass a electric streetcar and the streetcar crashes into the side of the wooden bus and drags it. And several passengers were killed Arius has some minor injuries, although what he writes that he had a minor contusion is actually a lot worse than that. But he was so he was bedridden as well. But what happens to Frito is the worst thing I could ever imagine happening to someone. So a iron handrail impales her through her pelvis. Great. And that's great. Yeah. Her pelvic bone is fractured. Her abdomen and uterus were punctured. Her spine was broken in three places. Her right leg, that same leg, was broken in 11 places. And her right foot was crushed and dislocated. Her collarbone was broken. Her shoulder was dislocated. 
And the way that she unfortunately was impaled, it came out through her vagina. So she has a fascinating relationship, understandably so, with her body and the exploration of it. And that motif comes through. Um, and I think that's that's really, to me, extremely evocative. And she spends over a month in the hospital, two months recovering at home. She, unfortunately, they reveal after that that the accident had also displaced three of her vertebrae. And so she had to have surgery and she had to wear a corset and then was confined again for three months. And her friend- She actually hmm? seems to have healed a lot. Like she's out of the hospital a lot faster than I would have thought. Well, considering everything, and again, the- the year that that happens in medicine, mm-hmm. I agree. And the fact, I mean, no one thought she would live. I think that's interesting. You know? Yeah. I mean, t- when you read that list, I'm, I didn't think she would live. No, <laughs> you know, but what's interesting, I know what happened. Yeah. So. What's interesting is one of her friends said that she lived dying. Basically, oh. you know, she was unable to become a physician after that. And she was in severe chronic pain and had many illnesses for the rest of her Jeez. life because of it. So that's horrendous. And it's, it's horrendous and it's, it's a freak accident. And she almost claims it was divinely done that she was and later in her life. She mentions being made to suffer. Um, and I think often people who have chronic pain try and find meaning behind it. And because how could you in that moment, you know, when you're suffering so, and, um, I just think, you know, she's, when you understand the context of, her physical disabilities and her body, when you look at her, oof, her great work, I'm so much more in awe of it. And I see so many more things she's trying to say, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so two years later, she's out of bed rest. Wow. And she gets back at university, but she can't become a physician, but she gets super involved in politics. She joins the Mexican Communist Party And she meets a lot of fascinating people. And a year later, she meets a man named Diego Rivera, who we've talked about briefly. He is a muralist, a very famous artist. Um, They have very differing accounts of how they first met. And either way, she seems to have asked him to judge whether the paintings that she had been doing were were good enough to, for her to become an artist. And he Mm -hmm. said, um, he had a quote and and they showed an unusual energy of expression, precise delineation of character and true severity. They had a fundamental plastic honesty and an artistic personality Mm -hmm. of their own. It was obvious to me that this girl was an authentic artist. I know a plastic honesty. I don't think of plastic as being very honest. I don't either, but he did it as being manufactured. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a fundamental plastic honesty. So Sure, that clarifies it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically, they become like deeply in love with each other or in lust. You decide. What's fascinating mm-hmm. is I never knew what Diego Rivera looked like. And I'm not judging, but I'm slightly judging. By his own accounts, he was very ugly. Um, and I'm not saying there isn't a type for everyone. But you see her and she's this, she's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. Like, she's beautiful and he's like two feet taller than her and very large and has an interesting face and haircut and somehow I'm like sure 
And he's also 20 years older than her. Yeah, because of course. Yeah. But he, throughout his life, has, like, affairs with, I mean, they both do. They both, again, we'll get into it. But, like, she, I mean, it's just, oh, they're so interesting. And women, like, fell for him, apparently. He was this captivating person, and it didn't matter what he looked like or could do or couldn't do. And her parents referred to the marriage. They, oh, sorry, they end up getting married to Noah in shock and awe. And they do in Koyakon in 1929. And both of her parents were, like, not that into it. And they said it was a marriage between an elephant and a dove. Hmm. <laughs> a, a famously compatible pair. Stunningly compatible. So he was very wealthy and could support her because she couldn't really work because of her disabilities and, of course, had to have very expensive medical treatments. She was often in some kind of corsetry to support her body and her back and um, Mm -hmm. her legs as well. Um, So they move to Morelos, which is a rural state in Mexico, because he had been commissioned to paint some murals. And um, she discovers her, the, the traditional Mexican clothing that we see her in the traditional peasant clothing. Um, this is when she starts wearing it. And there's a lot of ideas about um, why I think, again, we see this need, this want for connection to her collective past and her country and the pride in that. I think also um, apparently uh, Diego Rivera was very into having women look very traditional and wanted them to dress traditionally um, mm-hmm. so I think there's probably a sense of both going on. And so she wears these very long, colorful skirts, these headdresses, tons of jewelry. She actually ends up mocking it a little bit in her own life. I think she sees this as a, it's almost a costume to her, but I think again, she, it's not that it's disingenuous. I think she is putting it on for a reason. And, um, she wanted to express that. And there was this matriarchal society um, that had, you know, it was allegedly matriarchal. And so she came to really want to wear those clothes. And so it was this feminist statement, this anti-colonialist statement, and additionally, somehow not a feminist statement because you're doing it to please your husband. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, so they end up moving to San Francisco in 1930. And there they start meeting and growing their network, especially in the States And she meets a man named Nicholas Murray, who's a Hungarian-American photographer, and they start having an affair. Meanwhile, Rivera's been having affairs the whole freaking time. They go to Mexico and then go back to New York City, and he has an exhibit at MoMA. And then they go to Detroit because he had been commissioned to paint some murals. And, you know, she starts kind of playing with the press because they become known as like Diego and Frida. Like they become this kind of celebrity couple because she's this Mm -hmm. kind of exotica. She's wearing these clothes. She's very beautiful. She has the unibrow. She, you know what I mean? She exudes the other and also has a disability. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure her gait is a bit different and she's unable to stand for very long often. And Diego, you know, they're just a fascinating couple to look at. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Meanwhile, she's been painting the whole time. You know, she's been exploring her own art and painting. And then, um, you know, she ends up getting pregnant when they're in um, Detroit. And what's interesting is she had actually, I don't know exactly when, but she had 
an abortion early on in her marriage to Diego because she wasn't, I read somewhere, she was deeply ambivalent about having a child. She, she wasn't entirely sure, you know, kind of what it was she wanted, that motherhood, that sense of that. You see that, excuse me, in some of her paintings. Um, I'm trying to think there's one in, in uh, particular I'm thinking of, but it's, um, she's kind of so focused on exploring her own sense of identity and motherhood. She has a painting called My Birth, which was painted in that year, which is really fascinating mm-hmm. because it's done around, it's done apparently in the style of a indigenous goddess who was known for eating her own children. So there's a woman giving birth quite graphically, but her head is covered by the sheet. And it's very evocative. And I think it's so interesting that that's painted, not interesting, it makes sense, it's painted at the same time. Um, And then, so she wants to have, she goes to a doctor to have another abortion because Newsflash, guys, it wasn't always this annoying to get an abortion in the United States, um, especially medically necessary. And so she goes... I think it was actually (laughs) harder back then. To a degree, but it wasn't and wasn't. It really depended on where you were. But if it was medically necessary, they could perform it. And they gave you less of Mm -hmm. a, you know, they were less annoying about it. It was less politicized, maybe. Yeah, because it's a medical procedure. So, you know. Right, right. So she's there in Detroit. She doesn't really love being in Detroit. She um, hates being around all the rich people who are whining and dining them because they're in New York, they're in San Francisco, they're around, you know, the great echelons of society. And she she doesn't really know how she feels about it. She's, remember, she's an ardent communist and she's, she has a quote, she feels a bit of rage against all the rich guys here since I have seen thousands of people in the most terrible misery without anything to eat and no place to sleep. And that is what most impressed me here. It was terrifying to see the rich having parties day and night while thousands and thousands of people are dying of hunger. So, you know, she has this, she's going through, I think, quite an emotional journey. She's fairly isolated. You know, she does speak excellent English, but she's, and people actually started um, commenting, oh, she speaks excellent English. And it's like, yeah, people speak English. In other parts of it. It's, you know, yeah. The no. backhanded compliment of Truly. all compliments. I mean, so mm-hmm. her first, the first article ever written about her, which was that year, because um, she had some works. She painted works in Detroit, meaning she painted my birth and a self Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. ...on the border of Mexico and the United States, and additionally one we're going to talk about in a moment called the Henry Ford Hospital. And mm-hmm. 
she starts, she doesn't really display any of them. She had displayed a little bit of her work in um, San Francisco, but she hadn't done a great deal of that. And so the, <laughs> the Detroit News has an article that I'm sure people have seen because everyone hates it. Called, uh, it's titled, Wife of the Master Mural Painter Gleefully Dabbles in Works of Art. So she's there, she's pregnant, she's not very happy, and again, she has a lot of health issues, and so she gets an abortion, but the medication doesn't work. So she kind of goes, you know what, maybe I'm going to have this baby, maybe I will. But unfortunately, she miscarries. The the abortion medication doesn't work? Mm -hmm. Okay. She can't win. (laughs) No. Yeah, I mean, really, wow. Well, and then she has a miscarriage, which right. causes a severe hemorrhage, and she's hospitalized for two weeks. And she paints, to me, one of the most gut-wrenching and truly emotional paintings I've pretty much ever seen called Henry Ford Hospital. And I, I we will post it, but I also recommend people look at it. And, um, you know, it, it depicts her in a bed suffering um and trying to examine, you know, what happened to her and what is happening to her. And she has, it's really very emotional. And um, she's depicted in the nude and she often is. And I think what's interesting is for a long time, scholarship on her painting was like, wow, she's so self-absorbed. Of course, males have been, men have been painting themselves and self-portraits for how many millennia? No one cares, but a woman does it. Oh, she's an artist. Of course. Yeah. And, but what I think is interesting is we have to, she even says, you know, she's often alone. So she's the subject she knows best. So what a level of self-awareness, self-understanding um, or, or a desire for self-exploration. I think you, know, you see that in those paintings. Maybe I'm reading too far into it, my interpretations of it, but I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated with this. And as someone who knew very little about her life surface level. I knew what she looked like and I knew what some of her paintings looked like. I, I, right. you know, I'm now seeing so much of a woman's pain and what it is to be a woman with health problems or what it is to be a woman in general in an interesting and contradictory world. And I, mm-hmm. I find it so moving now. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have learned more about her, to be able to look at her art differently. And that painting in particular was one I actually didn't even know. And now I'm kind of obsessed with. And so additionally, she's painting herself in the nude. And I think she has such a, as you know, people know who have health issues, such a complicated relationship with her own body, how it works, how it doesn't work for her. Um, Mm -hmm. The pain she's in and, and again, she's she's a fairly open about her sexuality and she's a very sexual creature. And I think that's, you know, all of that comes into play and she paints these truly incredible portraits, but also almost still lifes of herself. And I, I'm just really enjoying looking at her work and, and seeing, you know, where it's coming from. And, and that one in particular to me is, is personally very touching and, um, yeah, so, you know, she's hospitalized again. And then about a year later, she and Diego go to New York again. And she paints one thing. She gave some interviews. And she wanted to go home. So they go home in 1933. And they move 
into this really cool house in San Angel. And it's interesting. They have two, it's basically like two different houses joined by a bridge and her house is blue and his house is pink and white. <laughs> Obsessed with that. It's so cool. Um, it's this really cool kind of bohemian center for politics and artists. It becomes this kind of salon in Mexico and all over. Um, hmm. And again, everyone's sleeping with everyone throughout the whole time. I think people love to read into um, that aspect of their lives. I, I think it speaks of a want for connection and a need for love and understanding. And I'm not judging her on it. I think it makes complete sense, especially when your husband will fuck anything that moves. So um, again, look at it. I'm not judging. I'm slightly judging. I need to be nicer. Um, it's just, he's fascinating with looking. He's always making a weird face in pictures too. Maybe that's the issue. Anyway, so unfortunately she has to, she has more health problems. She gets an appendectomy and some of her toes on her right foot become gangrenous and they become, they have to be amputated. What? Yeah. And then Diego starts having an affair with her younger sister, Christina. Oh, that's a really wise choice. I think it was perhaps the best move. Cool. Yeah. And Good dude. so that she finds that about it in around 1935 and she wants to get a, a divorce, but she's not sure. So she moves away and mm-hmm. then starts having an affair with this American artist and then kind of reconciles with them both. It, I'm fascinated by this thing. Um, she becomes, she, you know, is reconciled with both her with both Christina and Diego moves back into the house and they both Rivera and Frida continue to have affairs and she resumes becoming very political and um she meets Leon Trotsky who was a former Soviet leader and she offers her family home that she grew up in so that he and his wife could stay there um because he basically everyone wanted to kill him and so they live there for a couple of years and Frida and Leon become not just very good friends, but lovers and very close lovers at that. So she's engaging in interesting affairs with really interesting people, men and women alike. And, um, but she's also, her art is gaining traction. She's throughout all of their travels. She had met, um, you know, various uh, people. She had had some artwork displayed in exhibits And she ends up getting to go to Paris. And I don't know if this is at that time, but she's the very first Mexican, I think, person, but woman, additionally, to have any work displayed in the Louvre. They bought one of her paintings, Um, which is so cool. But also, come on, Louvre, you could do better. Um, And she wants to meet up with Nicholas Murray again because they've been having this on and off affair the whole time, you know? But he's like, now I met another lady and I actually want to marry her. So... She goes back to Mexico City from Paris and New York, and then Diego wants a divorce officially. And it's interesting because it seems like, well, why now? They've both been sleeping around so long. She moved out. She moved back in. But it seems like it was a a legal thing. I don't know. He said it was a matter of legal convenience in the style of modern times. So Sure. 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 So they get a divorce in November of 1939, but she pretty much continues to be like his manager, which she kind of had been doing. But, you know, she, that divorce really 
jumpstarts her to become an artist and making a li- make a living that way. So she starts working mm. on larger scales. She starts using a, a more interesting technique and she paints a lot of the portraits that we now know during this period, like the two Fridas, which now I'm reading so much into, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but everyone loves that portrait, right? Frida next to Frida. And they're connected with these bleeding hearts. And um, some say it's these this idea that the, the, there's the two cultures. So there's the Frida on the right that's wearing more indigenous garb and she's holding hands with the other Frida who's wearing more colonialist garb. Some are saying it's the Frida that Diego no longer loves with the Frida that he still used to love. Um, I think, again, I can only help but think of the chronic pain she's in and her life. Um, but I think it's such, what an interesting kind of idea. It's this, these like hearts, ones being cut, um, the veins being cut and, or an artery, excuse me. And I think, you know, they're connected and, and they're looking out. And I think her gaze, um, the perspective that she paints from is so interesting to me. Um, usually she's looking out at the viewer and that to me is so, oh, I love that. I think a lot of the time women are made to be demure or to not be so direct. And she, of course, is very direct in her gaze. So mm-hmm. she paints, um, some of that, she paints the self portrait with a thorn necklace and a hummingbird, which is a beautiful painting. Um, she, gets into three exhibitions in 1940. So she gets accepted into the Surrealist Exhibition in Mexico City, the Golden Gate International Exposition in San Francisco, and 20 Centuries of Mexican Art in MoMA. Um, So really very impressive uh, things that she was accepted into. And, excuse me, she suffers a bit of an emotional blow when Leon Trotsky is assassinated. And um, they actually suspected her of being involved because she happened to know the murderer as well. But uh, she was mm. completely um, let go and, and, you know, she never had any connection with it. I think being so involved politi- in the political movements, it makes sense that she would know the people involved. Um, and also housing him. That too. Probably. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she goes back to San Francisco for medical treatment in 1940 and she has a fungal infection in her hand. Of course. Of course. So since then, to the list. truly though, since then, since the, they're saying since the divorce, there are different reports I've read in her official biographer. I think, you know, this is a woman with lifelong pain and clear, severe disabilities. And it makes sense that her health would decline. I don't know if it's like because of her divorce, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. also apparently she drank a lot, no judgment. Um, you must be in a lot of pain. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Good for you. Try to know it a little bit. Um, so she and Diego actually end up reconciling and they get married again a year after their divorce. Just magnets. Mm -hmm. So they both continue to have affairs. I mean, that's like... A modern open relationship. Truly, though, but I think it is, but also I think they both felt the betrayal to some degree, but also 
Well, you know, yeah, I think one of the main pillars of an open relationship is having a discussion and setting rules, yeah. and I don't think that that was yes. <laughs> au courant back I, then, maybe. <laughs> excellent use of that phrase, and yes, I agree. Um, so she is just in a lot of pain. She continues to have a lot of spinal problems. According to an article she I read, she wore 28 separate supportive corsets that varied from steel and leather to plaster. She had a lot of pain in her hands, the infection in, or in her legs, the infection in her hand became chronic, and then she was treated for syphilis. <laughs> Great. Because they're all sleeping around. So, you know, um, her father died in 1941, so she becomes very depressed, and she remains in her family home, La Casa Azul, which is a beautiful home that's painted blue, which I can imagine why her home um, in Coyacan was also painted blue. And she kind of becomes a fixture in that community. She doesn't really leave the house that much. She's not able to, of course. Um, she couldn't sit or stand um, in the coming years, but she loved being around um, and having this community around her. She had a bunch of students who followed her and they were known as Los Fritos, which I think is hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, and she gets to be in this beautiful you know, tropical environment. So a lot of her paintings from this era are actually still lifes. And you see a lot of the nature, uh, you know, the flora and fauna surrounding her in there. So she goes to 1945, it goes to New York in 1945 for an operation to fuse a bone graft and to put a steel support in her spine to straighten it. And it was a failure. Ugh. She paints something that I think is uh, unbelievably uh, evocative uh, called the broken column which you can only imagine um, is a depiction of her back and being supported, but also not well. Um, mm -hmm. Additionally, she paints something called without hope and the wounded deer, which is just, Oh my gosh. It's, it's quite an incredible um, painting. And she, is spending most of her life in the next coming years in and out of the hospital. She gets infections from it. She, at this point, is using a wheelchair and crutches. She becomes extra committed to her um, political causes. And um, there's a great picture of her wheelchair that is, like, next to an adjustable easel so that she can paint with it, which I think is so fascinating. Um hmm. Unfortunately, that right leg becomes gangrenous again, and her leg below the knee is amputated in 1953. She becomes very depressed, and she becomes addicted to painkillers. Again, not surprising to anyone, uh, this poor woman. She wrote in her diary, um, they amputated my leg six months ago. They have given me centuries of torture, and at moments I almost lost my reason. I keep on wanting to kill myself. Diego is what keeps me from it, though my vain idea that he would miss me. But never in my life have I suffered more. I will wait a while. And that's after he started having another affair. So she becomes bedridden with pneumonia. She, one of her last public appearances, and I kind of, I love this about her. One of her last public appearances is a demonstration against the CIA invasion of Guatemala. Good for her. She ends up seeming, she seemingly, well, accordingly, she attempted to kill herself and then, um, she starts writing a lot in her diary and drawing her diary is really interesting. There's a great, um, it was digitized. So you can actually read it. I don't, 
uh, read, I don't speak Spanish, I don't read Spanish, but they had a translation for it. A lot of it's poetry and more kind of abstract, but the, the paintings and drawings she did are, are extremely evocative and very interesting. Hmm. And so she's pretty much um, saying to anyone who will listen that she's talking about death a lot. She's drawing skeletons and angels. And the very last drawing that she drew was a black angel. And she wrote these words, I joyfully await the exit and I hope never to return, Frida. Oof. So on the night of July 12, 1954, she had a really high fever and was in an immense amount of pain. And the next morning at 6 a.m., her nurse found her dead in her bed at only 47 years old. Initially, you said only 47. And I was like, hmm, only 47. But now it actually feels like quite a feat that she made it to 47. I agree. I mean, it's still to me, she, when you look at her work, what a, she lived such a life again, completely contradictory to the constraints of her body and her disabilities, but Mm -hmm. she still 47 is so young. And yes, considering the pain, I'm sure that was a, it is a feat. It's impressive, but um, it's just interesting to me that you know she made it as long as she could I think um especially considering care at the time some biographers have argued that she committed suicide um and it's pretty much commonly accepted that she did especially in light of the fact that she gave Diego a wedding anniversary present the night of the 12th of July even though their anniversary was in August so a month in advance hmm she was taken to her body was um, moved and laid in state under a communist flag, which I'm sure she would have loved. And she was cremated. And Diego said that her death was the most tragic day of his life. And he only died three years later. And she remains in our social consciousness throughout many um, forms. You know, we had, if you've seen Coco, that amazing um, Disney movie, she, the skeleton of Frida Kahlo is depicted as, you know, creating these abstract works of art based on herself and her own persona. Hmm. And I don't think that's inaccurate. I do think they were going for comedy with it, obviously. But when we talk about tortured artists, I think we talk so often about the emotionally bereft male who lives in a rundown apartment in Paris and, hmm. you know, could get a job, but doesn't. And that's fine. And not to minimize their suffering. But then we have someone like Frida, who I think painting became a lifeline and how she explored herself and her relationship to herself and to the world at large. And I'm so grateful we have some of her work and um, her great, uh, you know, diary even, and that we continue to be able to enjoy um, the legacy she left behind. And I, I really encourage everyone to go and look at her paintings. Obviously you can look it up really easily and, um, it's and we'll just put them on the Instagram as well. Yeah, that too. And I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated. I didn't know this much about her and I'm glad mm-hmm. I do now. Me too. And yeah, I don't know what else to say. I think her work speaks for itself in the same way that when we, um, talk about writers, I encourage everyone to go read their work. It's it's to me, it's the same thing with her. Mm-hmm. She says everything uh, in her paintings. And I love that. 
Lovely. Just lovely. <laughs> but also really depressing. So depressing. I know. It's super I know. depressing. I just, it is I have no idea. I don't know if this is something about, you know, societal beauty conventions being so important, but it, it really is kind of fascinating that the unibrow is what we all know and not the immense amounts of physical difficulty certainly says a lot i think she she had an anecdote when she was in new york that um some women were so and white women were so enamored with how she was dressing they tried to imitate her but they looked ridiculous is what she said i could say um, that. yeah and i think it's interesting i think she understood the need or want for people to emulate or to become obsessed with the physical appearance and mm -hmm. um it is interesting that what we remember is the unibrow <laughs> It's so ridiculous. <laughs> I know, but it is what we remember. It is. Yeah. Wild. Well, Wild. now we know so much more. Now we know so much more. It's so cool, but also sad, but so cool. And that <laughs> is usually how we feel about most of these women's stories. <laughs> unfortunately, very true. <laughs> yeah. Oy, oy, oy. But now everybody has homework. Mm -hmm. Look at a lot of paintings. Learn more. Spread the word, tell everybody about the real and absolutely absurd history, and then come back next month and see who else we talk about. I think that's that's the homework, right? I think that's concisely put. <laughs> uh, excellently said. <laughs> I, I do my best. It, it was off the cuff, but, you know, we aim for perfection here. Indeed. <laughs> I see you next month. I see you next month. Farewell, my friends. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.